Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 7.30 on Jobs Day. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Outside of Jobs, some news that people are watching. Uh, Tom Barrick's Colony Capital going to combine with North Star Realty Finance and North Star Asset Management Group, all stock deal, forms a real estate investment trust, $58 billion under management. Mentioned this earlier, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon wades into the Brexit debate, warning in England today the investment bank may have to cut jobs in the U.K. if the country decides to exit the European Union. The bank has more than 16,000 employees there. Bain Capital, PAG Asia Capital, evaluating bids for Takata, the Japanese air bank's uh, bag supplier behind that record safety recall. That's according to people familiar with the matter. And Delta and United Continental are weighing bids for Avianca, Colombia's state-owned airline, exploring strategic Strategic options, they say, including a full or partial sale. Let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, thank you very much. The search continues for four soldiers who are missing after their troop carrier overturned in a rain-swollen creek at Fort Hood, Texas. Five other soldiers were killed. Defense Secretary Ash Carter. We're going to make sure that we learn lessons that we can from the investigations we conduct after these incidents and uh, that we take actions in the future to prevent such accidents and keep our people uh, safe. Near Nashville, Tennessee, a pilot was killed when his Blue Angels fighter jet crashed. President Obama used his final commencement address to a U.S. military academy to urge Air Force cadets to find the right balance between force and diplomacy. The president told the Air Force Academy's class of 2016 that they must not allow the U.S. to turn away from the world. At least 19 journalists were attacked while covering food protests in downtown Caracas. That's according to a non-governmental organization that monitors freedom of expression in Venezuela's capital. The assaults included robberies allegedly by members of the National Guard and armed civilians. Global News, 24 hours a day. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC uh, Land Rover Parsippany sports update. Here's John Stasha. All right, Mike, a surprise in game one of the NBA Finals. Not Golden State winning, but the way the Warriors won, getting more points from their backup guards than their much more heralded starters. Steph Curry and Clay Thompson together scored 20 points, and Sean Livingston had that by himself. Leandro Barbosa added 11 off the bench. Those two shot a combined 13 for 15. And the Warriors won game one, 104 to 89. The Cavs came from 14 down to briefly lead in the third quarter, but the Warriors pulled away from there. Bench scoring was 45 to 10 for Golden State. Game two is Sunday again in Oakland. Took a while for the Yankees, didn't get a hit until the sixth inning, but finally some runs, four in the seventh. They held on to win the rainout makeup in Detroit, five to four. Baltimore beat the Red Sox 12 to seven as the Orioles hit seven home runs. Seattle 16, San Diego 13. The Mariners trailed 12 to 2 in the sixth inning and came back to win. The Mets were off. They have put David Wright on the disabled list with that nagging neck injury that they say could keep him out for a prolonged period. Serena Williams down 3-1 opening set of her semifinal match at the French Open with Kiki Berton. For the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashow. 
Thank you, John. They always say watch the dollar, and uh, we are watching the dollar ahead of the jobs report. It is a, a, a skosh, uh, stronger, shall we say, against most currencies, but um, the yen is uh, is unchanged right now. The euro, 111.45, the yen, 108.87, and the pound, 144.21. Of course, they've got their own issues to worry about over in Great Britain as they prepare for the Brexit vote ahead. <laughs> For us here on Bloomberg Surveillance, it's the jobs report. Coming up, we're going to talk with Alan Kruger, and then we'll uh, get a preview from uh, James Glassman of J.P. Morgan Chase and get reaction from Bill Gross. The market is uh, putting in a little bit of a positive tone right now. S&P futures up by a point. Dow futures up by 16. We were becalmed earlier, but we are getting closer and closer to the number an hour from now. We're going to check in with Bob Moon now and get the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report uh, brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, investing more than $110 million a year in applied research to solve problems and improve life. Learn more at storiesofinnovation.njit.edu. Up. Michael, good morning. Here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. This summer and fall, the Atlantic Ocean could become a hurricane testing site of sorts. After decades of warmth, there's evidence the Atlantic is cooling, and that change could mean fewer hurricanes wreaking havoc on coastal communities and economies. It's part of a cycle called the Atlantic Multidecadal Oscillation. I'm convinced they stick these terms in just to test us. Let's call it the AMO for short. Not nearly as snappy as El Nino in the Pacific, but this could even overshadow that. The theory is that the Atlantic cools and warms every 25 to 40 years, changing the African monsoon and easterly jet stream, air pressure over the ocean, and levels of wind shear. All these can add or detract from hurricane lifespans. Thing is, not everyone believes the AMO affects hurricanes that way. There are competing hypotheses, and this cycle is giving scientists more of the data they need to build their knowledge on effects of this phenomenon. Honeywell is warning of growing cyber attacks by state-sponsored hackers. The cybersecurity provider says they're increasingly targeting industrial facilities from oil refineries to nuclear power plants with sophisticated attacks aimed at capturing data and remotely controlling the sites. Honeywell provides cybersecurity for more than 400 industrial sites worldwide. And Walmart is linking up with Uber and Lyft using their services to enlist drivers in Grocery deliveries. The world's biggest retailer is aiming to match the convenience of services offered by Amazon.com and other e-commerce companies. That's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael. Bob Moon, thank you very much. That is almost a kind of perfect setup for our next guest. Alan Kruger is, uh, of course, uh, with Princeton University. He was the former chief economist at the Labor Department and the Treasury Department and a guy who's done a lot of work on the labor market, including this new gig economy uh, Alan, uh, what's the latest on, on what you've found uh, about uh, the gig economy? I mean, uh, they're going to start delivering groceries in Uber and Lyft cars. It's one more set of jobs that, in theory, goes away. Well, actually, that's probably a whole new set of jobs um, since it's not so easy to get your groceries delivered now. Um, but I think it makes a fair amount of sense, Mike, because the area where we've seen online gig economy the most is transportation and food delivery, Uber, Lyft, Grubhub. And in some sense, it's a merger of those two. If I want to look at the jobs report any particular month and see the impact where uh, of the gig economy, where would I look? You won't find it uh, for a couple of reasons. One, in the establishment survey, the payroll survey, uh, only employees are on the payroll are included. And 
the gig workers are overwhelmingly independent contractors. And the household survey does a terrible job picking it up. So uh, I don't think that these uh, workers are being reflected in many of our current statistics. But at the same time, it's still quite small. Uh, various estimates point to only about half a percent of the U.S. workforce is involved in some type of online gig work. Is this something, though, that needs to be addressed by the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics? Uh, is it growing enough that it distorts the numbers and policymakers don't really know who's doing what? I think we need to do a much better job, job tracking it. Uh, at a minimum, we need to do the contingent worker survey more frequently. But even the contingent worker survey, which hasn't been done since uh, 2005 by the BLS, has some problems when it comes to the gig economy since it focuses on the main job. And a lot of workers are doing this part-time as a secondary job. Well, let me uh, bring in Tom here with a question he asked me on the air this morning, and I couldn't answer. So I'm going to put it to you because you're the smarter guy here. When you look at um, the uh, the job creation on a month-to-month basis, over the last two years, standard deviation in change has dwindled away to almost nothing. It's about one standard deviation uh, per month. Um, why why have we gotten so incredibly consistent in job creation? You know, that's a really good question. I, I think if you look at GDP, we find something similar. Even though there are big fluctuations, they're actually less than they had been quarter to quarter. And I think we're seeing, to some extent, a continuation of the moderation that existed before the Great Recession. Uh, why that's taking place is, is, is not so clear, but I think this does look a lot like we were seeing uh, for the Great Recession, uh, certainly in terms of quarterly GDP fluctuations. Well, does it have implications at all for for policy, or is it just an interesting factoid? Well, I think it makes life a little bit easier for policymakers because it makes it a little bit easier to read the tea leaves if the leaves are moving around less. Uh, at the same time, the revisions to the data are still quite large. So um, I think we haven't narrowed the uh, – uh, sampling variability that comes along with measuring the U.S. economy. But the U.S. economy itself is being a little bit more stable, and I think that's a positive thing for uh, for the U.S. It means that we're growing at a more steady pace. Alan Kruger is with us. It is Jobs Day, of course. We have, you remember uh, Tom Mad Magazine used to have on its masthead the usual gang of idiots? Uh, we have the usual gang of really smart people joining yeah. us today. Coming up, Jim Glassman and then Bill Gross and uh, Scott Mather, so uh, you don't want to turn your dial. Stay with us here on Bloomberg Surveillance. Jobs Day. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Go to top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce Fitter and Smith, Incorporated. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are little change this morning with the S&P 500 at a seven-month high as investors await the government's monthly payrolls report. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up a point. Dow E-mini futures up 18. NASDAQ E-mini futures down one. DAX in Germany is up six-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up one thirty-second. The yield 1.79 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.88 percent. NYMEX crude oil down three-tenths percent or 14 cents to 49.03 a barrel. COMEX gold up a tenth of a percent or a dollar 40 to 12.14 an ounce. The euro a dollar 11.42. The and 108.86. Valiant Pharmaceuticals receiving a notice of default from some bondholders because of the delay in filing its quarterly financial results with regulators. Buyout firm Riverstone Holdings will acquire Talon Energy, the U.S. independent power producer that went public a year ago for $1.8 billion in cash. And Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, roping in J.P. Morgan Chase boss Jamie Dimon. And to back up his warnings about the costs of leaving the European Union, as polls suggested, the U.K. government is struggling to get its message across. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Bloomberg surveillance this morning, brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Traders University, even experienced traders, need to keep learning. Traders University will get you up to speed quickly with short videos, webinars, courses, and more. Visit ibkrb.com slash stay ahead ibkrb.com slash stay ahead Alan Kruger with us we're staying ahead with Alan Kruger from Princeton University as we speak of the labor economy Alan you and I've talked many many times before about two Americas yes wealth and income inequality but the basic idea that we're looking at aggregate numbers at 8.30 this morning that barely describe the separation of these two Americas, is the gap widening? Uh, the gap, uh, first of all, has been widening for the last 35 years. And um, it's a little bit hard to tell month to month, but I don't think there's much indication that it's starting to narrow. Within it, within it starting to narrow, and I mean, I, I, I'm hearing that very low-wage people are doing better, very high-wage people are doing better. What will we glean from the middle class in today's jobs report? Well, the uh, average hourly earnings data will partly reflect uh, what's going on with the middle class. Uh, I, I think what we're going to see, Tom, and I think this is a positive development, is as the labor market gets even tighter, I think we will see stronger wage growth uh, for those at the bottom and moderate income earners. The only time in the last 35 years where we had a respite from the growing inequality was in the late 1990s when the economy was strong. But I think these structural problems are still with us. I mean, I think it'll be very nice yeah. to have a high-pressure labor market, but I think the forces we're causing – Polarization are going to still be worse right. and probably get worse because the extreme inequality that we've seen are uh, making it harder and harder for disadvantaged families to get their kids a good education, for them to get summer jobs, and for them to get internships and have the kind of mm. connections that help higher income kids. And Mark Harm Bondles uh, this morning from Unicredit was just brilliant on the Atlanta Fed Wage Tracker, which is a very optimistic series. He's very, very big on that unique Atlanta Fed series indicating a better wage growth than some of the other series that we have. We did a uh, 
a chart on uh, surveillance television this morning showing that the the PCE core is starting to rise in tandem with average hourly earnings, uh, Alan, and wondering if if we are indeed seeing the beginnings of some wage push inflation or uh, at least wage dragged along inflation, uh, what the Fed wants to see, what Janet Yellen has been talking about for years. The way I look at the data, Mike, I, I think that the job market's unfolding in a way that one would expect, uh, especially in view of the fact that we're not seeing much of a recovery in labor force participation. So I think the job market is getting tighter. Uh, nominal wage growth so far this year has been over 3%, and I think that is pulling up the CPI and the PCE price inflation measures. Uh, is that... Will that encourage the Fed to let the economy run hot, uh, or can they admit that because you know, they got to have the inflation credibility? Well, that's a really good question. In, in my view, given that inflation was below their target for so long, I think it would be appropriate for them to allow it to be above their target for an equal amount of time by an equal amount. Uh, I haven't heard them state that. I think – uh, if that's their strategy, which a number of economists have suggested, that would be very good for them to be clear about. Um, but I think that they can afford to raise rates at a slow pace, still be accommodating for the economy, even if they raise rates in June by another 25 basis points. Real interest rates will still be negative. That will still be supporting the expansion as long as the markets don't overreact to it and, and kind of freak out over it. Uh, those are still historically very low interest rates, given where we are in the job market. How low? Are they too low at this point? No, I think, they, I think they've been feeling their way through. And it's very hard to criticize now, given where inflation is and given some of the financial uh, instability around the world. I think they're navigating these, these uh, uncertain times pretty well. What uh, what do you think the Fed should do? Um, they have to make a decision based on today's admittedly flawed data, uh, and Janet Yellen's going to probably tell us essentially what it is on Monday. At least the, the markets are certainly hoping she does. Uh, but uh, do they should they go ahead a and raise rates, and b if so, should they do it in June or wait till July? First of all, I don't think there's much difference if they raise in or July in the big scheme of things. Uh, what I would recommend they do is, and I'm sure they are, keep a very close watch on financial markets and the Brexit vote. And if there's any risk of destabilization in markets and they run up to the Brexit vote, it seems to me that there's very little loss by waiting from June until July. Uh, on the other hand, if markets look the way they do today, which is pretty firm, then uh, – I would probably lean towards raising in June, conditional on the data that are coming in. But as I said, I think they're going to go continue to raise rates at a pretty slow pace. Um, and I think it's probably reassuring to them that we've avoided the deflation crack. That was a risk to go back five months ago, six months ago. And it's probably reassuring that the labor market is evolving the way that you'd expect in past trends uh, based on an unemployment rate of 5%. Uh, Professor Kruger, uh, Scott Sumner has been very, very visible 
in touting the value of paying attention to nominal GDP. He wrote a brilliant article, whether people agree or disagree with it, it was thought-provoking and brilliant, in Foreign Affairs magazine this month, uh, The Fed and the Great Recession, How Better Monetary Policy Can Avert the Next Crisis. And he wrote it with great collegiality towards people who are, you know, in the crosshairs of, of the moment in economics. Should we pay more attention to nominal GDP and be more aggressive about targeting to that combination of real growth and inflation? Well, I think it's an intriguing idea. Uh, I think there are a number of uh, obstacles to doing uh, to doing it well, however. Um, for one thing, GDP is um, very poorly measured in the early reports. You know, the initial report of GDP growth in Q4 of 2008 was something like minus 3.8%, and in truth it was like minus 8.9%. So there was a major, major revision there. The labor data are more accurate than their first reports, even though those are noisy. Um, Secondly, I think you get a pretty good fix on nominal GDP, nominal GDP growth, from what's going on in the labor market, from wage growth, price growth, and productivity growth. So um, I think it's important that the Fed cast a broad net, but I wouldn't change their mandate. I think the, the Fed's dual mandate has actually served the U.S. quite well, and I think one of the reasons why we're doing better than Europe is because of the dual mandate that the Fed has. Are we likely uh, – uh, Howard Ward was just on with us suggesting that the, the biggest black swan out there for him is the potential of recession. So are we going to do – uh, continue to do well, as as you point out, or are you worried at all? No, I've been saying the same thing, as you know, for the last five years, that the economy is continuing to heal. I don't think there's a natural dynamic in the U.S. economy that just because this recovery has now gone on for seven years that it's about to turn into a recession. As you know, Mike, early on uh, this year when people were raising recession scares, I said I see a continued expansion of around the 2% rate. And I don't see anything that's fundamentally changed. Uh, I think that the main threat is the presidential election coming up, where we have a candidate uh, who uh, breaks all boundaries when it comes to economic policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he would renegotiate the debt. So uh, I think that's a complete wild card. And if markets started to take some of Donald Trump's comments seriously, I think we'd see a lot oh. more volatility. Alan Kruger. Uh, but apart from that, I don't see the threats. Thank you so much, Alan Kruger. Sorry to cut you off. We're going to run here and move on on our job day coverage. He's the former chairman of the President's Council of Economic Advisors as we move to Jim Glassman and Bill Groats. Mike, I thought that was fascinating what he said about the obstacles of looking at nominal yeah. GDP. I mean, really so, interesting. Sometimes the, uh, you know, people propose solutions and, yeah. you know, they're, they're things to think through. It is job day. Michael McKee and Tom Keene beneath the headline data in 32 minutes. Bloomberg surveillance.